Colossians chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken on your new self, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. What makes us human? Relationships? Pursuing happiness? Being your authentic self? Fighting for justice? Raising children. Leaving a legacy. Hey everyone, well in case you're wondering, that, that actually wasn't me, that was a different bald guy from church. Um, isn't it an exciting time? We hit 80% yesterday, things are starting to open up, there's just a little bit of optimism in the air, also a little bit of, an, uh, of anxiety, you know, for some of us we're just not sure what opening up is going to look like, but you know, I think there's kind of a sense that maybe 2022 is going to be a new year in a different year. And uh, a few years back, I was reading in December, I was reading one of those magazines and I came across one of those New Year, New You kind of articles. You know, you know those articles about how next year we're all going to be a different and better version of ourselves. And I was really struck by the headline on this one. It was You 2.0, 45 things to do, think, buy and throw away to make you a happier, healthier, more productive human being in 2018. And apart from making me feel just a little bit tired, I mean, 45 things, jeez, I think I'd rather just be mediocre. But it really struck me how these days everyone has become their own lifelong project, haven't we? I mean, you can't just say the same person you've always been anymore. No, we're all on this quest to become the best 
version of ourselves that we can be. And so whatever else happens, in 2022, one thing is clear. The 2021 version of you just won't cut it anymore. Now, 2022 requires a better version of you, the improved, updated, upgraded U2.0. Which is where things get a little bit tricky, right? Because what does U2.0 look like? How are you supposed to improve? Because it seems to me that everyone actually has their own unique criteria. So the magazine that I was reading was kind of a materialistic magazine. And so they said that the U2.0 was going to be marked by better stuff. For instance, one of the things they said you need is your own home coffee bean roaster. And this little, this little number comes from Norway. And at just $7,500, it'll pay for itself in only 62 years. But actually, maybe your, two, your U2.0 isn't marked by stuff. Maybe for you, it's marked by achievement. Because that's often how we want to improve ourselves, isn't it? I'm going to achieve things this year. So this year, I'm going to buy a house. Or this year, we're going to pay off the house. This year, I'm going to earn my degree. Or I'm going to get married. Or I'm going to earn that promotion or get the pay rise. That is, the new me, U2.0, is marked by achievement. Or maybe it's marked by my habits. The new me is going to be healthier. I'm going to exercise this year. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to read more. The U2.0 is marked by better habits. Or maybe it's marked by my experiences. The new me is going to be a better, well-traveled person, a more well-rounded human being. I'm going to try out new things. I'm going to meet new people. I'm going to push myself out of my comfort zone. Or maybe U2.0 is marked by better inner health. I'm going to be more forgiving of myself this year. I'm going to be more accepting of myself. I'm going to be less anxious or I'm going to follow my heart. I'm going to be true to myself instead of being true to other people's expectations. You see, whatever it is, U2.0 actually takes different paths for lots of different people. But we all have one thing in common. Who I am is evolving. I'm improving. I'm on this lifelong project to become the best version of me that I can possibly be. It's almost as if I'm on a journey to become the real me. Once I've made all these changes and all these improvements, then finally probably just as I die, then I will finally be the real me. So who is it for you? Who is the real you that you are trying to become? What's your you 2.0? Is it about achievement? Is it about habits? Is it experiences that you're hoping to have? Is it something completely different? Stop and imagine for a second. What is the image in your head that you have of the U2.0? Well, this this series is called Being Human. And it's all about what it means to be a human being from God's point of view. And we actually are going to cover some pretty huge topics. We're going to explore what it means to be human and sexual. 
We're going to explore what it means to be human and a child. We're going to look at our emotions and our feelings. How are they part of being human? We're going to look at individualism versus relationships. We're going to look at our need for other people's approval. We're going to look at being a human being online. And we're going to look at the beginning of life and the end of life and how they fit with being a human being. And they're massive topics, right, aren't they? We're actually looking at some of the biggest topics of our existence. But today we're going to start with the most fundamental idea. Being a human being in the image of God. Because the very first thing that's said about us in the Bible is that we are created in God's image. Those words are the very first thing you learn about us. And so if we're going to have any hope of getting all of those other issues right about sexuality and being online and emotions and all those things, we have to start here. Today is going to be, I think, probably the most theoretical of all of our talks, but it is the most fundamental as well. What does it mean to be a human being in the image of God. And you can see on your screen from that verse in Genesis that it means that we are like God. Let us make mankind or humanity in our image, in our likeness. In some way, we human beings are like God. When you look at us, when you look at humanity collectively and me as an individual, you're meant to see a reflection of God, an image of God. A little bit like when you look at one of our coins and you see an image of the queen. So on all of our coins here in Australia, on one side of the coin, you have an animal, a platypus, an echidna. And on the other side, you have an image of the queen. And over the years, depending on how long you've been alive, The image on the coins has changed quite a lot, hasn't it? Because actually the queen has changed quite a lot. She's gone from being a fresh-faced 27-year-old when she came to the throne to being actually a pretty amazing-looking 95-year-old. But it must be kind of... I was thinking this week, it must be kind of depressing every decade or so to be reminded of just how much you've aged as they mint millions and millions of coins with your older, saggier, baggier image. It must be kind of depressing, mustn't it? But that's the point. The Queen's image on the coin has to change because it's meant to reflect the reality. That's its purpose. And that's our purpose too. The purpose of human beings is to reflect God. Your purpose here on earth is to be a reflection of the invisible God who created you. And look, when I start to think of it in those terms, it actually forces me to rethink my life a little bit. You see, if I have been made to reflect God, if that, I've been created to reflect God, well, you know, that means that the most important thing about me isn't actually me at all. It's God. You're a reflection of God. And so the most important thing about you isn't actually you at all. It's the God you reflect. See, could it be that we actually spend our entire lives focusing on the wrong thing? 
I'm so focused on Greg 2.0, this image that I have in my head of the person I'm trying to become, my possessions and my achievements and my habits and my self-esteem and my happiness and all of those things. I'm so focused on that image that in my head, but could it be that none of those things are nearly as important as I think they are? Could it be that this whole U2.0 process is actually focusing on the wrong person? I'm so focused on the image I've got in my head, but that's not who I'm meant to reflect. God is. That is, if I want to see who I really am, deep in my core, if I want to know what it fundamentally means to be me, I need to take my eyes off myself and look at the God I reflect. In order to get to know me, I need to stop looking at me and I need to look at God. So I wonder if maybe I just need to be a lot less interested in me and a lot more interested in God. Maybe I need to spend a lot less time drilling into me and a lot more time drilling into God. One of my favourite sermons that I've ever come across, this was one that I read, was by a man named Charles Spurgeon. I reckon he nailed it. He said, the proper study of God's elect is God, the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the works, the doings and the existence of the great God he calls his father. There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in the contemplation of the divinity. It's a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Other subjects we can compass and grapple with. In them we feel a kind of self-content and we go our way with the thought, behold, I am wise. But when we come to this master science, finding that our plumb line cannot sound its depth, that our eagle eye cannot see its height, we turn away with the thought that vain man would be wise, but he is like a wild ass's cult. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. He who often thinks of God will have a larger mind than the man who simply plods around this narrow globe. The most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ and Him crucified and the knowledge of the Godhead in the glorious Trinity. Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. Go. Plunge yourself into the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. Isn't that brilliant? I'm convinced that if I just became less interested in me and what's going on in my head and more captured by God, 
If we just spend our lives seeking him, really longing to know him, dwelling on his word, praying for to, to him, serving him, seeking his will and doing it, I'm convinced that if we were more fascinated by God, we'd become far less interested in ourselves and our me project and we would be far happier for it. Do you need to let go of the image in your head of the person you are trying to become and actually spend more time focusing on the person God already is? Because you are his image. And so what does it mean then to be in the image of God. How are we like God? Well, look, if you've been around our church for a while, you probably have heard, you know, the big two, especially if you came through UniChurch and you've been to mid-year conferences. But not everyone actually has heard this. And so if you have, I'll I'll go through it quickly. Just bear with me uh, if you've heard all this before. The two ways that in Genesis, that Genesis says that we're like God are in our rule and in our relationships. So you can see the rule part straight away in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, and over all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. You see, we are like God. We reflect God because we rule. Like God rules. That's why Adam names the animals in chapter 2, because God named the animals in chapter 1. God named things in chapter 1. It was a sign of rule. But the second way that we're like God, that we're in the image of God, is in our relationships, in being male and female. Because the next thing Genesis says is, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. See, being male and female also makes us like God. And immediately you might be thinking, well, how on earth can being male and female make us like God? Because God's not female. God's father and God's son, and they're both male. Where is the female bit of God? Is that the Holy Spirit? No, it's not that God has a female side. It's that fundamentally God has oneness and separateness or difference as part of who he is. So there is one God, isn't there? There is only one God. The Bible says that again and again. But that God is three persons. His Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And you can tell them apart. The Father is the Father. He's not the Son. The son's the one who died. The father's the one who sent him. The Holy Spirit glorifies them both. They're three persons who are each distinct, but they're not three gods. They're one God. You see how it is? God has oneness and also difference. And we're like him because we are one humanity in two sexes. So Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says God made mankind or humanity in his image. We are one humanity. I'm human and so are you. Just like God, we humanity are one, but our humanity is made up of male and female. Who you can see the difference between them. They're created at different times in Genesis 2. We are two sexes. Do you see how we're in God's image? We're like God because we rule 
and also because we're relational. And like I say, if you've been around our church for a long time, you're probably pretty familiar with that. Except, you know, this week I realised I've been teaching this wrongly for the last 20 years. I realised that I've actually not quite understood the image of God for the last 20 years and therefore I've been teaching it wrongly and if you've been around for 20 years, so's about that. <laughs> Hopefully I'll fix it today. You see, what's important about being in the image of God is not that we rule and it's not that we relate. It's that we rule and relate like God does. Because when you think about it, lots of animals have partial rule. The predators rule over the prey and lots of animals have male and female, don't they? But the key thing about us humans is that we do those things in the same way that God does. You see, God doesn't just rule. God rules in perfect love. And God doesn't just relate. He relates in perfect love. This is actually hugely important. This is what joins both rule and relationship. We are like God because we rule and relate in love. I mean, how does God rule the animals in Genesis chapter 1? Well, he blesses them. And he says, increase, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters of the sea and let the birds increase on the earth. You see, God's rule is actually marked by love and blessing. That's the kind of ruler that he is. And God relates in love too. Again, again, in the New Testament, love is how the Father and the Son relate. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. The Father loves the Son and shows him everything he does. And the Son loves the Father and does what he commands. You see, this is really, really crucial to get. God doesn't just rule and relate. He rules and relates in a particular way, in perfect love, in purity, in character. And we are supposed to be like him. We're meant to be in the image of God because we love we're meant to be in the image of God because we're loving rulers and relators. We're meant to be kind like God is kind. We're meant to bless like God blesses. We're meant to be good like God is good. We're meant to be pure like God is pure. That's what it means to be in the image of God. Loving rulers and relators. That is, think about, think about the image that we started with. Your U2.0 project. I have this image in my head of the, tri the person I'm trying to become. Successful, fit, healthy habits, all that sort of stuff. But actually God's overriding image that he has for me is love. It's character. It's goodness. That I will live in this world in a way that reflects his love and his character and his goodness. God wants me to be a mirror of his character here on earth as I rule and relate. That is, as you look at human beings and the way we rule the world and the way we treat each other, you are meant to be able to say, aha, I see what the God who created them is like. He is not just powerful, he's good. He is not just a relator, he's good. 
He is loving and pure and perfect because I can see that in his image. I can see it in the ones who reflect him. That is what it means to be in the image of God. And of course, the great tragedy is that's the last thing you'd ever say about us, isn't it? Because the fact is, when you look at us as a species and when you look at us as individuals, we don't reflect our God very well at all, do we? We're not much like God. No, as rulers, we're greedy and careless. As relators, we're selfish and cruel. We're not like God in the way we rule and relate. And that's because of Genesis chapter 3. We won't go far into it because of time, but in Genesis chapter 3, ruling and relating in love all go straight out the window, don't they? With sin. So Adam and Eve don't rule the creatures. No, they obey a creature, the serpent, who leads them to not love God, but to rebel against him. And they don't work together in love. Eve makes all the decisions while Adam stands there silently and then they both end up blaming everyone except themselves. Genesis 3 is actually beautifully written to show us the image of God being fractured, being broken and shattered. We're meant to reflect God, but we don't. And just hitting pause for a minute, some people will say that even after the fall, or that after the fall, the fall is so great that we don't actually reflect God's image anymore, that we're not in God's image now. We've lost God's image. We've lost that reflection. The, the fall was so far that God's image is shattered completely. I don't think that the Bible goes that far. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, God says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. And God says that outside the garden. In some way, the image of God seems to carry on. James says, with the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And again, that's outside of the garden. It seems that God's image extends beyond the garden. We are still like God, but in a broken and distorted way. One great image that I came across was of a windscreen that's just been cracked and shattered. And the glass is still there. You can still sort of see through it, but it's so damaged and it's so warped that what it gives you is a distorted image. We are still like God. We still rule the world. We still have relationships. We still have marriage, male and female working together. But it's all so damaged and distorted that you can't see what God is like very clearly anymore. We have relationships, but they're always breaking down. We rule, but we always end up dying. We're like a cracked windscreen. One guy I read put it beautifully poetically. He said, we must state both that after his result, mankind remains mankind, and also that mankind has radically changed, that he is but a grisly shadow of himself. Mankind remains the image of God, inviolable and responsible, but has become a contradictory image. One might say a caricature, a witness against himself. See what we are now? We're a grisly shadow of what we were meant to be. We're a caricature of humanity and of God. You can still see something of God in us, but only just. Which is why Jesus is such wonderful news. 
Of course we have to get to Jesus. The whole Bible is driving towards Jesus. And Jesus so beautifully and perfectly fulfills this idea of God's image. He does it in two ways. Firstly, Jesus really is the true image of God. And secondly, Jesus transforms us into his own image. So in Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. You see, we were created in the image of God. Jesus is the image of God. When you look at Jesus, you're not just seeing a reflection of God. You're not just seeing someone who is like God. No, you are seeing God as a human. That's what's so miraculous and amazing about Jesus. He is the perfect God in human flesh. He perfectly unites God and humanity together. And when you think about it, when you look at Jesus' life, Jesus really was the perfect image of God, wasn't he? He ruled with tremendous power and also perfect love. His miracles show that he had power over creation and demons and sickness and death. Jesus was truly awesome in his rule. But he was extraordinary in his love. He related in perfect love and perfect goodness and character. He was merciful. He was kind. He forgave. You see, if we are a cracked image of God... Jesus is the perfect, clear, crystal screen. He is God himself. Jesus is God in the flesh. And in fact, you know, when it comes to the great project, the the humanity project, Jesus is actually God's fundamental focus. God isn't that interested in the Greg 2.0 project of the person I want to become. He's actually far more interested in Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate human being and God has been involved in a process of glorifying Jesus and making him the ultimate ruler, the perfect human being for all time. That was actually the great product, the great goal of the universe, the project. Kind of teaches me that in the end, I'm not as big a deal as I think I am. And in fact, God wants to capture me up in the process of glorifying Jesus by making me like Jesus. Have a look at what Paul says in Colossians 3. He says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these anger, rage, malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. You see, it turns out there actually is a U 2.0, the person that you are becoming. But it's not the person inside your head. No, it's Jesus. See verse 10 there. 
you have a new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator, which in verse 11 is Jesus Christ. That is, if you are a Christian, God is renewing you. God is remaking you. He is remodeling you. Not so that you'll reflect the image in your head, but so that you will reflect Jesus. And again, it's all about character. See verse 8. But now you must also rid yourselves of all these such, such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. You see, it's all about character. Because remember, character was the fundamental way that we were meant to reflect God in Genesis, ruling like God rules in love, relating like God relates in love. And we have not done that in the fall. But if you are one of Jesus' people, saved by his blood, paid for by his death, made new by his spirit, Jesus is now remaking you in his image. It's funny, you know, one of the things that I really wrestled with this week is the fact that he is the one who's doing it. Notice the passive language there, which is being renewed. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, this is a work where the image in my head and what Jesus wants for me may actually exist in tension. The person I want to be in my head, the things I hold most dear, and the person that Jesus is determined to make me into, they may actually be two very different people, mightn't they? Over the last little while, I've been wrestling with something I hold dear in my head, the person I want to be, the life I imagine I have, and discovering that actually Jesus doesn't value that nearly as much as I do. And I've had to learn to let go of the image in my head and embrace the image that's real, which is Jesus. Because Paul says that's what we have to do. We have to make this our goal. Notice the language he uses. They use the language of put off this. Put off those sins. Rid yourself of those sins. Put them to death is the language that he uses. Paul says, embrace this process of what God is doing in you. Embrace the process of becoming more like Jesus in his love, in his patience in his purity, his generosity, his priorities, his forgiveness. Make Jesus your U2.0 project. Just ask yourself for a minute. When I get to the end of my life, when this whole project is over and done with, what will I truly regret not becoming? Successful? Married? Owning a house? I'll regret it if I never own a house. Will I regret it if I never get control of my health, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually? Will I regret it if I never become the well-rounded, well-travelled person I'd like to think of myself as being? Because they're all good things, aren't they? Some of them are actually really good things. And as I said, there are things that I found really hard to let go of. But the fact is, 
God's purpose in creating me was that I would look like Jesus. And that is actually the real me. If I'm aiming to become the real me, I'm the most real me when I'm most like Jesus. I will become the true me, the authentic me, the ideal me, when I become most like Jesus, who is God in the flesh and the perfect human being. The real you is not the person in your head. It's the person who is on the cross. And so I don't want to be sidetracked by that person in my head. I don't want to be distracted or duped into thinking that those things are actually the real me and giving my life over to them. Now, I want to learn to sit loose to all of those things. In fact, I may even reject some of them outright. It's okay if I never pay off a house or get a degree or travel or fulfill my dreams because none of those things was ever the real me. Jesus is. And as long as I become more and more and more like him, I need to be okay with missing out on any or all of those things. What did you answer in the beginning of this talk? When I asked you, who is the real you that you're trying to become? What is your version of you 2.0? What was your answer? Well, look this week, why not sit down and take some time to write out a different answer? The ways that you actually want to become more like Jesus. Jesus 2.0. Maybe read Colossians chapter 3. Maybe read one of the Gospels. And write out the ways that you want God to renew you in the image of your creator. Ask God to help you to do it. That's when you'll become the real you. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Our great God, what an amazing thing that we were created to reflect you. To rule and relate, not the way the animals do in selfishness, and passion, but the way you do in love, in perfect goodness, in purity, in self-sacrifice, in obedience. We thank you that we are like you fundamentally in character and we are so sorry that we haven't been. We confess that we haven't ruled or related like you at all, but that we've been dominated by sin. And so we praise you that when Jesus walked the earth, that Jesus, the human being who sits at your right hand now, is perfect. The perfect picture of you, Jesus, God in the flesh, and also the perfect human being. We praise you that he and glorifying him is your great project. And we pray that you would make us, remake us in his image. Help us to let go of the image that we have in our head these things that we desperately hold on to and cling to and desire. 
Help us to let go of them as phantoms, not the real us at all. But to want to grow desperately that we would put off our old self and put on the new self, which is to be like Christ. Please show us how you want us to do those things. Please give us insight, wisdom, understanding, and then determination. For Jesus' sake. Amen.